Hey everyone, my name is Yaro, and you're listening to the Daydream Rose podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time, and I hope that you're safe and as okay as you can be wherever you are. I also hope that you're fighting against anti-blackness and police violence in any way that you can. I know that will look different for all of us, but I think it's really important that we are present and staying engaged with this conversation because it's been far too long. We've been ignoring this for too long. There is definitely shame and guilt around that, but I think we cannot let that freeze us into inaction right now. It's important that we are present and that we're voicing what we believe in and bring other white people into this conversation. I'm not very active on Instagram at the moment, but I am thinking about this a lot and I'm happy to say that my book is almost done now. I'm expecting to finish this weekend and yeah, I'm just really excited to share that with you soon. A pre-launch copy will go out to all Patreons in a few weeks and so yeah, that will be a digital copy. I'm excited to hear what everyone is thinking. If you want to join us, you're super welcome to become a Patreon that also supports the show. And you also get access to all my other zines, to two big programs. One is called Unravel, one is called Embodied Magic, and then a bunch of recordings from past workshops as well. So I'll link to that in the show notes. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation with Shauna Jans. She does such beautiful work around ritual and grief and working with our ancestors that feels really really powerful at this time. I mean, it, it's always powerful, obviously, but I think there was something very immediate about this conversation that we had and listening back just now felt really inspiring and I was so grateful to know Shauna. So I really hope that you'll get something out of this too and that you follow her work if you're interested to learn more. We talked about a zine that I published this year called Our Bodies as Anti-Capitalist Business Mentors, which is free and it belongs to my other business, Yara Digital. And I'm linking in the show notes to a sign up for that. I'm also running a three-part free workshop series over the summer on anti-capitalist business practices. So if you're interested in that, you can sign up for both the three workshops and the workbook. And you can, of course, invite your friends as well. I think that's all I wanted to share. Well, actually, I think I'm going to share the title and the blurb for my book as well, because I've been writing on that this week, which it's so hard, I think, to articulate um, exactly what a book is about in just like a paragraph. But anyway, it's called Rituals, Simple and Radical Practices for Times of Crisis. And I wrote, Rituals is an approachable, inclusive guidebook that will help you create meaningful rituals for everything from heartbreak to transitions and creative projects. It explores how a sense of enchantment can strengthen our movements and offers accessible and simple practices woven together from folk magic, independent celebrancy, expressive art and queerness. My hope is that rituals will help you find a politicized spirituality that emerges from your own understanding and offers you comfort and resilience in difficult times. Ooh, feels nice to write that, to read that out loud. I'm not gonna lie, I am also really nervous because it is so personal and not everyone will like it. That's the nature of any creative project, I guess. And so if you like it and you're excited about it, please let me know, please send me an email or message on, on um, Instagram or become a Patreon. I would really appreciate that so much. So yeah, now on to today's show. Let's listen to Shauna share beautiful practices around grief and being present at these times. And may this be a nourishment to all of us. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, I'm super honored and excited and delighted to speak to Shauna Jans today. Um, Shauna is doing really beautiful work around ritual and ancestral healing um, and grief. And uh, we're recording this um, in the beginning of May. It feels important at the moment to kind of contextualize these conversations because I hope they will live on for a really long time. But they also, of course, have a presence in these times. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to name that it's the 7th of May, um, where I live in Scotland. We are seven weeks into the pandemic lockdown. Um, Shana, I would love to know more about what it's like for you. But first, I want to say welcome. Thank you so, so much for being here. I really, yeah, really am excited to speak to you and to learn more about your work. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited also, Yaro. Thank you. <laughs> so I would love to start by asking you what your work is and how you came to do it. Yeah. I think there's many different kind of threads that I've followed that have led me to this work both personally and professionally. And let me just situate myself. So I'm calling in from Victoria, British Columbia, the West Coast of Canada. And I'm on the unceded ancestral lands of the Coast Salish peoples, the Songhees and the Esquimalt and the Kosanich First Nations. And I've been, yeah, living here in this community for about 13 years now. And so what feels like wants to arise in terms of one of the ways that has led me to this work is just very much the, over the last 13 years, I've had the honor and opportunity to work with many different communities and organizations and individuals and families here locally in my own community. And um, it's been really what I've learned from others and those who've invited me in to either companion them through difficult loss or change or organizations inviting me in to work with staff teams around how to hold grief and change and trauma and so whether that's been working in women serving organizations supporting women coming from violence and abuse to regain um, economic self-sufficiency and healing and wholeness I've had the opportunity invited into different organizations supporting migrant communities and families and really learning from those folks the uniqueness of their um, experience, their grief, their transition. Um, had the experience of for many years going into schools and opening up grief education and classrooms. I was speaking to about 3,000 youth each year for about a decade and really learning a lot and seeing a lot um, and just such heartfelt connections there with the youth helping to bring in a language for speaking about this and to help validate and to um, just really hear the youth voices. Um, I've also worked with individuals living with different abilities um, and have been invited into different First Nation communities and health support group for men who've been at a job loss and which is really, you know, the, the grief of identity and meaning and contribution. And um, so just giving kind of a background of all these different mm, people and, and communities that I've learned from, you know, supporting people working in the front line here in the community, um, supporting folks with HIV AIDS and responding to the opiate crisis and working in harm reduction. So 
just to kind of name the breadth and the like profound gratitude that I have to have been invited in and to continue to be invited in to work with people from just such a vast array of diverse lived experiences and that these have been my greatest teachers to really allow me to learn how and to start seeing connections and patterns to what is the fundamental kind of what I call the grief yearnings that we have as humans, despite our very diverse situations and lived experiences, but also to see and to learn how loss impacts us depending on our different social locations, depending on broader systemic influences, histories, et cetera. And so I guess I can say in terms of my work, it's, it's, there's two branches of it. There's very much the deepening into the skills of holding healing space for people who are right, right in a lost situation, whether that be by death, whether that be by a large um, change or disruption in their life, a, um, you know, illness, um, family breakup, whatever that may be. Um, I support a lot of folks who have had loved ones die by traumatic experiences of um, homicide or suicide or substance-related deaths. And so part of my work is holding space for individuals and families and to companion them in that place and uh, providing training opportunities and education opportunities for others who really want to step into deepening their therapeutic skills and soulful uh, approaches, very heart-centered approaches to supporting others. So that's one branch. And then the other branch of my work, I, I'm coming to kind of claim more and more in an affectionate way this term like grief activism. So there's a part of my work that is possibly uh, better articulated with this word grief activism is, and I get really passionate about this aspect of my work also, is how to support folks to deepen into their relationship with grief as a life practice, as a sacred practice. And part of that is coming to really understand both our own individual bodies and, and our own grief expressions, starting to take a look at how we're embedded in different family, faith-based, and cultural storylines around grief, which ones have been life-affirming, which haven't. Um, you know, we're all impacted by dominant culture, Western-based, uh, capitalist, colonial-based culture and storylines. And a large part of that, you know, and, and why I'm so thankful to be here with you in this conversation is reclaiming meaningful rituals that are not only personally relevant to our own grief expressions and how grief moves through us, but also ancestrally and culturally relevant. And a lot of that is reclaiming uh, ancestral life ways. You know, grief is a learned skill and many of us haven't had these opportunities to learn because of complex histories of disruptions of these life ways, you know, and that's going to be different for all of us. But I get very passionate about supporting folks and guiding them and, and having kind of a, a mapped out journey for them to dig in and deepen into what it is to reclaim relationship with their grief personally, culturally, and ancestrally in ways that are very life affirming. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, there was so much in here that I really love and would love to expand on and 
Ooh, yeah, <laughs> yes to all of these things. To kind of ground it a little bit more into the personal, I wonder if you would uh, be willing to share something that you are currently grieving. Ah, uh, yes. It's interesting. So, um, you know, I've been in kind of in, in more, I guess, quarantine style living now since uh, March 15th because I had been um, actually at a, at a beautiful grief community grief ritual um, in Washington, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest in the States. And so coming back to into Canadian lands here, um, I was self quarantining um, early. And I could notice the first few weeks and I've also been holding an online space uh, starting every Sunday morning at, at 10 a.m. Pacific time. I hold a, an hour long practice space, which it was so lovely to see you there a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been noticing both in myself and in the people who have kind of stepped on the Sunday morning journey with me. The first few weeks for me was really about like just noticing where my body was really activated. I, I tend to I tend to go into a very mobilized state um, when there's any kind of crises or, or amplification of something that, that needs tending to. And then I noticed myself kind of going into a bit of a collapse, getting really tired, um, noticing my own chronic pain and fatigue syndromes that I've been, you know, living with for, for 20 plus years, but how that started to kick in and get amplified by the stress. And it hasn't been until these last two or three weeks, three weeks, I would say that, that I've settled enough for the vulnerability of my own heart space and the tenderness to really be given room to, to surface. And there's so much that's arising and I'm, I'm, I'm weeping and crying every day. And it's, it's been really interesting to notice that, the access to my tenderness right now in my own grief has been my daily practice of gratitude and seeing, Oh, I could, you know, I feel <laughs> even just, yeah, right now, like just so much tenderness around what I have to be grateful for mm-hmm. where, what I have like orienting myself to what is, what is beautiful and where connections and the profound visibility of interconnectedness in the heartwarming ways. Cause there's also the heartbreaking ways that are happening right now. And that has been just such a welcoming doorway that brings the tears right to the surface. And then also allows me to then dip into the grief of the heartbreak that I'm feeling in terms of, globally or communal community wide. Um, and then I tend to kind of swing back out through the gratitude gate <laughs> afterwards. And so it's been this practice for me that every day of really sinking into presence, gratitude, beauty, which then that in itself companions me into the places where I'm feeling heartbreak. And in a very personal way right now, actually what I've, what's been arising is just how much, because my life has slowed down and as many of us have, and I have enough privilege in my life that I'm not in um, like survival mode. You know, I have a home, I have food, I have access to some resources. Yes. There's been disruptions in work and income and all those things. And I'm, I'm okay. And so in the stillness and the slowing down, 
there's been such a reckoning with where my own internalized ableism and stories of worth as tied to productivity and achievement is just surfacing more. And it's, I mean, it's complex because we have these vast cultural dominant narratives that are so steeped in that. And I see how that comes into relationship with my own navigating of chronic pain fatigue. And I also see how that is also um, related to old developmental trauma and, and, and healing through that. So it's, there's a lot, there's a lot rising. And so my grief is, is in processing that. And then also the grief of just feeling really profoundly moved and tender with learning how so many different people are impacted so differently by living in this time of, of pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so, so much. You articulated so many things that I'm feeling too so beautifully. And yeah, that really spoke to me. So thank you so much. Um, I would also love to know a little bit more about what kinds of rituals you're leaning into at the moment that feel good. Yeah, well, I've been having lots of conversations with different folks. And, and I think it's, it's similar to what I just expressed in my, in my own experience is that because we are in like the pain um, and the grief is here and it's all of us are experiencing it differently depending on where we are what access we have to support and resources whether we've come from historically and currently marginalized populations and histories um, all of those things, the complexity of all of that, and just the, it seems simple, it's not always easy, and in the simplicity doesn't mean that it's not profound, but the rituals of gratitude and beauty, and how do we sink into the resilience that, and activate and amplify the resilience, both, you know, I think ancestrally, how do we call in those of our own ancestors, those elder ancestors who hold the wisdom, who lived possibly their incarnate life during big change, during epidemics, pandemics, um, plagues, uh, big change, and who also received what they needed in their rites of passage to fully claim their full spiritual essence and who really carry that wisdom. So rituals of calling in those elder voices of our ancestors who hold the wisdom of the resilience that reside in our own DNA, our own blood and bones, and how to call in that field of blessing, that field of resilience. Um, so that's a ritual that, that I do often, and I invite other folks into the ritual of, of really pausing and still noticing places and, and giving ourselves permission to still feel as available to us joy or beauty or what resilience is in our own lives within ourselves within sphere also within our connection and that looks many different ways but there are you know through this you know <laughs> i think of that meme going around who's who's at the um the source of the pandemic and it's this meme of pulling a a sheet off of this person and this Zoom, you know, <laughs> because well, so many of us are connecting over Zoom now. But to also really see and take those moments of like, 
where do we see the profound interconnectedness that we've always known, but are now being surfaced in ways, in new ways, in more visible ways. And so rituals of gratitude, of joy, of resilience, that help to companion and allow us to both to also hold the suffering, the grief, the anguish, the rage, the unknown, the anxiety that's also coming up. And how do we hold both and? Because both and support both, if that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yes. Thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you're speaking also in your work to embodiment and I, Mm. um, this has just been on my mind today because I've been writing about it and I love hearing more voices around what it means to them. So I would love to hear from you what comes to mind at the moment or generally, and maybe there's a difference between generally and now when Mm. you think about embodiment. Yeah, well, let me just say in this moment, I've so appreciated the recent resource you made available on embodied um, leadership and business. And I forget the exact name. I apologize in this moment, but yeah, it's been so, it's really spoken to me. Um, and just, you know, as I spoke to earlier, the grief of where, um, what's arising in terms of where I really noticing where I continue to not listen to my own body Mm -hmm. and, and push through. And you just articulate this so beautifully in your work and in this recent beautiful offering that you've made accessible. Um, so thank you for that. Thank you. Um, you mean yeah. the, the workbook, um, your body, our bodies as uh, anti-capitalist business mentors? You got it. Yeah. <laughs> like brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, hell I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll link to that in the show notes. I would really like to. Please do. It's so read. good, everyone. Get it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Uh, and I'm, I'm sheepish that I didn't remember the name of it because it's brilliant. Oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like that's, oh, yeah, I mean, how, I know, okay, so I know in my own personal life, embodiment has been something, and I think this is for many of us, um, but let's speak to my, my, my personal experience as someone who has really been defined by an experience of what I call spiritual grief, where it's taken me a long time to accept and to work to become fully embodied in my life. There was just this profound (laughs) grief for being poured into incarnate form. (laughs) Um, And it's been also an inspiring, you know, it's, it's, it's motivated me. It's, it's been a large, it's informed how I've come to this work and where I am now. And I'm so grateful. And that spiritual grief of the grief of being embodied, you know, was, was definitely amplified by early childhood trauma and developmental trauma. And so my work has been for years, like, what does it mean to become fully here, to fully claim my life, my embodiment, my incarnate life, my, the signature of who I am in this moment in time, which then also deeply connects me in with what do I have to offer and allows me to, to, the more I become embodied in my life, the more I claim and inhabit my life, which is inhabiting first and foremost my body, the more I'm closer and and able to bring through, you know, what it is that is exquisitely mine to bring through in this time. And we all have that. That's, that's our birthright. And 
it's been a lot of my own work in, in coming back into more direct and conscious relationship with my ancestors, both in spirit and in understanding the lived histories and trajectories of my people, um, both in terms of where they have been oppressed by certain events and histories and where they have been uh, the oppressors and reconciling all of that, but really coming into, and it's been a bit of a tough love, but gentle lesson from my own people is like, Shauna, you, to claim your life and to claim your birthright, you need to be fully embodied and to not be is, is, is a disservice to your own inheritance. And so embodiment, what it means to me is that it's been this lifelong journey to come more fully and consistently embodied and not to pathologize or make wrong when I still maybe slip out or dissociate a bit and to see how all the ways that um, I've had these resilient adaptive strategies to navigate very difficult um, traumatic experiences, all of that, that there's a lot of wisdom in all of those too, but just how to, how to more commit to my embodied life. And I guess I can also say in this moment, how, how does this relate to them? The grief work is, and it seems a bit counterintuitive and perhaps a little bit like, well, why would I want to be more embodied? The more embodied we are, the more we may feel the pain and the suffering of our, of our own, but of also, you know, our, our fellow humanity. Um, however, when it comes to grieving and to metabolizing grief in a life affirming healing way, we need to be embodied. We, the skills of grieving are in our blood and bones and it requires being in our bodies. And so because a lot of the work of this time due to intergenerational trauma is the work of understanding our nervous systems and our own capacities for how much movement of emotions can move through our bodies. For me, the foundational work of coming back into relationship with grief is coming back into embodiment, to starting to understand what our own capacity is, starting to become aware and be able to track when we may be slipping out of what I might call an optimal zone of healing and grieving. And because grieving is a learned skill, it actually takes practice. And the more we practice, and the more we practice coming into embodiment and allowing our grief to flow through us while we stay embodied, while we stay present, while we stay in what I might call our adult self, rather than possibly being mm, reactivated into more of a childlike place where our needs and our big emotions weren't met, which I think a lot of us have early life experiences or a moment where that was the case. But the more we're able to stay present in our grief, then it, it allows the grief to metabolize rather than to continue to upcycle and stay in our systems. And so embodiment is a foundational way of, of how I support folks uh, on the journey of reclaiming their relationship to grief as a sacred practice. Yes, that's, yeah, I was just nodding along <laughs> as you were speaking, which is a shame that people couldn't see, but I <laughs> relate to so much of what you said, and 
yeah, I think embodiment can be something really difficult to explain. Sometimes people approach me and they're like, what does that mean? And, and it's hard, right? It has so many layers and it's so counterintuitive sometimes to how we usually operate. And, and yet you're totally right. It's so fundamental and important and so foundational to any of the ritual grief work that we might be doing. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the next question could be really big, but I also really just want to say, even if it's small, that's really beautiful and it can really, you know, you can take it in any direction that you like, but I'm wondering um, what you're wishing for our cultural healing at the moment. Mm. You know, what I notice arise in me, in my body in this moment again is just this kind of quivering tenderness in my belly and up through my throat and my heart area and it's actually the word wish what do i wish what do i hope for what do i pray for what do i envision and i just there's a lot of vulnerability to that right it's so important that we do speak to what our hopes are, to what our future visions are, and to paint those visions. And I really, I have a, a, a confusing relationship to the word hope. So that also arises in this moment. And I think it's because it's the vulnerability, right? The, both the importance of putting our vision out there for our wishes, our hopes, and also the vulnerability of that. Um, yeah, it just feels vulnerable. And so I'll just, you know, that's just kind of what's arising in my body in this moment. Um, in terms of more concretely, what do I hope for for cultural change? I mean, what I can say right now is that I am learning so, so much um, from other folks, uh, mainly, you know, people of color, um, uh, other queer uh, identifying folks, uh, people who've been working in movements and justice work for decades and many of them who have and are ongoing living the the experiences of ongoing persecution or systemic oppression and all of those things and I'm just learning so much and and how much that has enriched my life and my understanding and motivates me to want to continue doing my own work to show up well to to and I you know you you say this on your website too like healing is political and I want to learn from those people who have known this and who are living it and have been living it and recognizing that they've had to live it I mean they're working in this because they've had to live it right and so if, if there's a hope in this moment that I can maybe even fumble around in it's that more people are listening, more people are listening to the voices of those who have been living, who have been living the experiences that have needed to articulate that healing is political in the first place and where this pandemic is surfacing that um, and making it visible even more so. And how, you know, there's, there is, I find myself saying that there, yeah, there's possibility in pandemic. Like we are in a time of collapsing chaos, unknowns and uncertainties. And that is the time 
where the emergence of new ways of being and doing arise. And I guess I, I, I hope that myself as a, you know, white woman of Northern European descent um, who carries a lot of, of privilege and who wants to support others in coming back into relationship with their grief to not also miss the mark for the opportunity right now for, and grief just being one gateway into what is possible, you know, like, and very simply, I was talking to a colleague of mine, a friend, a good friend, dear friend, um, who also does a lot of ancestral work and she's, she lives in North Carolina and she was saying, you know, her husband really supports schools and, and bringing healthy food to families um, living in poverty and to the children who otherwise wouldn't have access to healthy food. And he had been fighting for the ability to, to access the food to then um, give out from local farms and local people who are growing the food, the local dairy farmers, and was always hitting a wall of like, no, and they were always going to like the bigger box stores or, you know, industries, uh, you know, of mass scale. And then all of a sudden that's not available in this time. And then boom, what are they doing? They're accessing the food from the local farmers. And so it surfaces both the, in the ways of injustice and the lack of will. And then in this time, there's openings for new ways of being and doing that are fulfilling visions that have already been dreamed up, but are also allowing for new dreams to be had. Yes. <laughs> yes. There was again, so much in there that I don't even know what to add or yeah, but I was just again, nodding along and really resonating with so much of what you said. Um, I feel you get a sense. Do you get a sense Yara, of what you're like when you sit into the word hope or, mm -hmm. um, yeah, vision or wish, like, I just get curious. Is, mm -hmm. is that, yeah, what's your experience of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really been coming in waves and there's definitely been like um, despair and frustration and mm -hmm. hopelessness as well. Mm -hmm. um, like you, I also started uh, quarantining, quarantining a little bit earlier in March. And so I felt like I had a little bit of like time to myself to kind of prepare for mm -hmm. lockdown um and so yeah there was a lot of solitude for me um that wasn't yet a collective experience and i think what has given me hope or what made what kind of what kind of made possibility touchable was being in groups and in conversations with people and hearing people say I actually don't want to go back to this and I don't want to go back to this yes and, and um, so that is really, really beautiful. And then also I've had moments on Instagram where I felt like the process was being rushed. Maybe there was almost like a sense of, of toxic positivity where, you know, we kind of jumped to speaking about the new earth a little bit too quickly. And I was like, uh -huh. hey, you know, like there is new, new earth. Like this is what we have. We have this one earth. And um we have so much to look at in ourselves of things that we've been doing that are really harmful. And, and I think I'm, to be really honest, I'm really unsure where I stand when it comes to thinking about our potential for change, because uh -huh. I'm so in it right now, you know, like I really 
just want to allow myself in a way to be in the not knowing and letting that be okay and just acknowledging that I'm really not an expert and I'm comparatively pretty young you know like there's so many when I speak to my grandparents at the moment I can sense that they have a little bit more perspective just from having seen the world in different stages at different Mm -hmm. times and that feels really valuable to me speaking to elders right now um but coming back to your question I think yeah this sense of of people not wanting to return that feels good to me And then also there's so much, you know, like uncertainty around what that really means. But for myself, I can say that I I suddenly feel like more urgency and in a way that's beautiful. And in other ways, I'm feeling a little bit of shame almost in how long it's taken me. So for example, I've given up flying um, two weeks ago for the new moon in Taurus. Mm -hmm. And I've been really sitting with that, with how small my world had become in lockdown, with how much more discerning I had to be with how I connect with people. And I had a a trip planned to California where I was going to do a breathwork training which luckily happened online and was really beautiful in its own way. And I felt this huge sense of relief of not needing to leave my home for that. And I think the story that I was holding in my head around flying until that point was always like, well, if it's a training that I really want to do and there's no other way. um, And I think since then I've just been feeling like, you know, this is one thing I really wanted to do and it worked perfectly online. And I was also sitting with this, like, what is it actually like to go to an airport with all these people and these like really um, bright lights is super stressful for me. And then to literally be lifted off the earth and to be in the sky Mm -hmm. and to wake up in a place and fall asleep in another, it feels really disorientating. And so it felt like something that I could let go of really easily. Um, But I really also want to be clear that I'm so not, you know, I'm not a great consumer or like a perfect zero voice person or any of that. I just picked one thing that felt doable to me and was like, okay, this is um, the change that I can create in my life right now. And then also sitting with this complexity of like, I totally think and agree and like fully um, in full support of the idea that we need to we need to create structural change and like, you know, the big pollution is coming from big oil and um, large corporations and there's governmental change that we need. And it can't just be the individual who needs to do more recycling. Yes. And then also at the same time, I think only being in that truth feels like I'm denying myself the power of my own choices. And I don't want to do that either, you know? So there's like a lot of both and there. Yes. yes. <laughs> that was a long ramble. <laughs> no, I totally, you know, I, I'm so glad. I mean, the part that really hits me in the heart is just like, and I realize like I have fear, is it, fear around like, no, things can't go back to normal. Let's not waste this, like this, this time of uncertainty and how, yeah, and how just as 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 people, we are quick to grasp at making meaning. Like I notice it in myself, you know, uh, to make meaning of things, to hurry into a new story. But I think there's a balance there, right? Because there is there is an importance. I think of Adrian Marie Brown's um, work and the importance of being in pleasure and also really dreaming, dreaming into the future and allowing 
the visionary. Um, and I would say in this time, you know, I was, I came across recently, I think uh, the word apocalypse, which we're seeing, if, you know, uh, in, in certain areas of coming up. And that's, um, I believe a, a, the Greek root of that is apocalypsis, which means an unveiling. And to me, like what a beautiful time of unveiling and that's also so intimately tied to what it means to be prophetic, which is not so much um, uh, foretelling the future. It's seeing like prophecy. The gift of prophecy is the gift of seeing clearly. And so I guess like just in hearing what you're saying, the complexity of it, the both ends of so many things, the collective, the personal, the systemic, the, the interpersonal, intrapsychic, like all of this how my hope and my wish is that we as a people in whatever ways are available for any single one of us because of the complexities of all of our experiences, how do we stay long enough in the uncertainty with a commitment for clear seeing, which motivates whatever the next step might be and then the next step and then the next step and who's really important to be listening to and learning from right now who really holds insight into that like prophetic visioning mm, yes yes yeah that was so good to hear you say just now yeah I really agree and I didn't know about the root of the word that's such a beautiful illustration I might print that and put that somewhere I think and I heard it I heard it somewhere else and I you know I've been listening to so many podcasts <laughs> lately yeah. that I can't I can't say who it was so I will dig around too and if I find that let's also put that in the mm -hmm. in the notes um yeah thank you but just to bring that into awareness I just found that like you know as someone who is also very you know, mystical in my orientation and, and, and contemplative in my spiritual practice and, and in communion. And that is a large part of my life and a large part of what informs how I show up. That just, that kind of opened up this breath of fresh air for me of like, oh, time of unveiling, an invitation for more of us to see clearly and then to be motivated, maybe first to grieve, and then allow that grief to be part of the energy and the sustenance that mm -hmm. moves us forward towards a new way of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, with these grief practices and the ritual and the real listening, I feel, yeah, I feel hope um, to maybe add that what I said to, to add to what I said before, like something that's really so comforting to me right now is slowness and bringing things to a local level mm. and um making things small like really seeing this the beauty and smallness you know like yes. i feel that when i was still traveling and and you know going to the city and doing all these things there was so much energy of me that was all over the place in a way yes. right and even though we're connecting um internationally through zoom and that feels really beautiful it's still in my home i'm still here in my space in my body and i'm still eating my local food here and i feel like yeah like i really hope that that will stay with us as something to hold on to that could be really beautiful for our future and that yes. might really shift and change and be really fluid and you know will de mean different things at different times but i really hope that this is something that we're 
we're holding on to. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I sometimes get curious if we have a long enough pause and slowing down and our nervous systems and bodies get accustomed to that new pacing, how could we go back to that same frenetic mm-hmm. busyness that was so, so easy. It's kind of its own vortex. So easy to get swept up in, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've danced with that my like for years, right. Just mm-hmm. for years. And so I guess that's part of my hope too, is that enough of us in a very nervous system way, get a big enough dose of what it is for things to slow down that there's just, there's no way we could even imagine going back to quote unquote normal, which is, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Shauna, it's so beautiful to talk to you and I could talk to you forever and I hope you'll come back. But before we go, is there anything else that you wish more people would know about or that you feel like wants to be shared right now? Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, in this, you know, in this moment, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude for um, these different opportunities for connection. I feel gratitude for being here with you, Yaro, in our conversation. I'm feeling gratitude for all the people. And this is an invitation for anyone listening to this also is uh, every, every Sunday, which I believe 10 a.m. here is like maybe like 7 seven at night uh in uk time i'm not totally sure but um yeah okay um is that i am offering you know it's free or or by donation if you have the means but no no expectation there at all just offering a space for us to come together and i you know i um offer up a a prayerful kind of invitation and invocation for our time. And we spend a lot of time doing somatic practices and, and then also connecting in into visioning time, uh, calling in the wisdom of spirit, however it is that you connect with that uh, and connecting in with the wisdom of the elder ancestors. And I feel a lot of gratitude for being in that space also, because it feels like there's a, there's just to show up every week, every Sunday morning, to be with um, in a collective communal space, <sighs> dropping into resourcing and visioning, and then some time for harvesting what has come through near the end it has been so uh, meaningful for me. Uh, and to feel also companioned in that. So yes, I'm holding the space, but just I've I've also felt very nourished by that and so that's um i welcome anyone who uh is curious or would like to join you can find that in one of my offerings on sacredgrief.com um and just really yeah just really thankful for where the places where i'm receiving support in my life um and for the connections that are happening Yes, thank you so much. Um, is there anything, yeah, and also just to say, I've been to one of those sessions and they were really, really beautiful. So I recommend anyone checking them out who's interested. Um, is there anything else that you're offering or any other space that people could check out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so my website, personal website, if you're interested in working with me one-on-one, whether that's around grief and grieving or ancestral healing, um, if you're interested in deepening into your skills, I offer mentorship also. So that's at shaunajans.com. 
And then um, more of my online programs and offerings are at sacredgrief.com. And you can just always come connect with me on Instagram, also sacredgriefshauna jens. Um, I'm try I'm not the most savvy or uh, on there consistently, but that's a goal of mine. <laughs> so come pester me to to be on there more. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a good place. I really enjoy the connections that do happen there. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we will come pester you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Shauna. Honestly, I, I really value and honor what you shared so much. And it's been beautiful and fun to speak to you. And like, yeah, it's, uh, just noticing that the word fun just kind of come up came up so easily for me. I feel when I got on the call, like a real sense of joy, of connection. And mm. um, I was, you know, obviously we were in the subject. It wasn't like we were in being in denial for an hour or so, but I was just really feeling light for an hour. And that's such a beautiful experience right now. Mm. So thank you so much. Ditto. Me too, Yaro. Thank you. Thank you. So much gratitude. <laughs>